My poor kids. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Thank you. My poor kids have been trained to think that everything we do in those videos is fake. <laughs> nothing is real because nothing is real. It's all just kind of edited down. And so they think, oh, this cannot be possibly true. We'll see how that uh, leads them into adulthood. Uh, but we had a lot of fun. You know, we, this is an eight-week series that we've been in, and when we get to week seven or so, we're like, you know, people have seen that transition video six or seven times. Let's just do something different. So we decided to go down on Monday night and take part in everything that they had going on there, so hopefully you enjoyed that. I'll talk a little bit more about the game later, but right now what I want to do is I want to welcome those of you who are at Lakeville. We have opened our Lakeville campus this weekend. We are so excited. If you are new to our church and you're at Lakeville right now, just know there's people in Lionel Lakes, Woodbury, White Bear Lake, Blaine, Spring Lake Park, Anoka, and Wyzetta, who are all cheering for you and are excited for Lakeville South to be our eighth campus. I think we've got a picture of everything going on out there. Look at this. A full room out at Lakeville South High School, and it looks like an Eaglebrook campus. I mean, it's just beautiful. And you think about all those people. And the answer to prayer that each of them represents. For the last couple of years, our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, has felt this prompting from God that there's over 270,000 people in the south suburbs who don't go to church and may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so for years, he's been thinking, you know, if we could just put a campus in the south suburbs and this weekend, this morning, it opens and here's what you see. Each of those people has a story, has a life, and is an answer to a prayer. We are in the eighth week of a series called Come and See, and that's been our invitation to every one of you, to come and see who Jesus is for yourself and the difference that he can make. If you're new out at Lakeville or if you're at any of our campuses for the first time, we believe that a relationship with Jesus Christ makes all the difference. It gives you hope when you're hopeless. It gives you meaning when life feels purposeless, it gives you peace when you're anxious or life is chaotic, it makes all the difference. And our invitation to you has been to come and see for yourself. To do that, we've been looking at a book in the Bible called John. And today we're in John chapter 17, and Jesus knows that the end is near. He knows that he's about to be crucified and what's gonna happen to him on the cross. And so he gives this final extended teaching to his followers. And at the very end of that teaching, he looks up to the heavens and he prays to God the Father. What do you think he prayed for in his last extended prayer? For more people to believe? Kind of. For more love? Sort of. Here's specifically what Jesus prayed for. He said, I pray that they... He's talking about you, he's talking about me, he's talking about every believer who has ever lived. I pray that they will all be one. And he's talking to God the Father, so he says, just as you and I are one, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus uses his final extended prayer to pray for you and to pray for me that we would be one with each other, that we would have perfect unity with one another. Here's my question, is Jesus' prayer being answered today? 
As human beings, we tend to create lines and divisions around one another. For example, we have state lines. And if you're from Minnesota, you're like, Iowa. Those people down in Iowa. You might live in the southernmost part of our state, and the, the state line to Iowa is on your property. And you could go like this and be with Iowa, but your house is in Minnesota, and you're like, those Iowa people. I mean, you laugh every time there's a joke about them because there's a line there, and you're on this side of the line. In some states, it doesn't even matter that you live in the same state. In Michigan, you're either a Michigan Wolverine fan or a Michigan State Spartan fan, but you're not both because there's a line that's been created there. There's a division, and those lines that we create, they can either unify us or they can divide us. When I was down at the national championship game on Monday night between Virginia and Texas Tech, my two sons and I, we were cheering loudly for Virginia. And there was a moment at the end of the game when DeAndre Hunter from Virginia hit a three-pointer from the corner to tie the game and to essentially send it into overtime. And so me and my boys, we jumped up in the air and we're like, yeah, let's go. We, we kind of acted like we hit the shot. You know, it was kind of like we had had a part in that. And so we're standing up, we're going crazy. And all of a sudden, I looked over, and the guy who was sitting next to my son, Hudson, I hadn't looked at him all game, I had not talked to him all game, but I noticed that he was standing up cheering loudly as well. And so we locked eyes with each other, and we had this moment. And I thought, I'm going for it. So I went, let's go! And we grabbed onto each other's hand, and we were just jumping like this <laughs> with each other. But there's an etiquette in those situations. And so I went 1-1,000, 2-1,000, and I started to let go. But he didn't let go of my hand. <laughs> and so I thought, you know what? He wants a little more excitement. He wants a little more love. So I shifted my weight back in, and for another little, we went like this, let's go. But then I went 1-1,000, 2-1,000, and I tried to release again, and he would not let go of my hand. And then he did a big no-no. He squeezed my hand like this. I'm like, what does that mean? What is that all about? And so I kind of squeezed back, like, I don't know. And then, <laughs> and then finally we let go, and then we did what all men do in that situation. We didn't look at each other ever again. <laughs> Went right back to the game. I didn't even say goodbye to him when he left. It was just this moment, and it was done. We had this moment of unity with one another where we crossed this line, and we were one. Why? because of what was happening on a court, a basketball game. Conversely, the two guys sitting in front of us were from Texas Tech. And every time Texas Tech would do something well or hit a big shot, they would turn and glare at my older son because he was kind of an obnoxiously loud Virginia fan. And so Texas Tech would hit a big shot and they'd look up at him and they'd be like, so now, kid, you know, like that. And you could kind of feel that there was a little bit of a division that was taking place between the two of them. We tend to create lines as human beings, and those lines can either unite us or they can divide us. Lines like Democrat versus Republican. Lines like homeschool, private school, public school. Baby boomers versus millennials. Cloth diapers versus disposable diapers to vaccinate or not to vaccinate, breastfeed versus bottle feed, non-GMO, no antibiotics, grass-fed versus they know your first name at McDonald's. 
we tend to create lines and divisions around one another. Unfortunately, this happens in the church as well. This joke has been around the church world for years. Some of you might have heard it. But GQ magazine ranked it the 44th best joke of all time. So here we go. These two guys met each other on a bridge. And the first guy asks the second guy, he said, do you you believe in God? And the second guy said, yeah, I do. And the first man said, well, me too. And he said, well, are you a Christian or are you Jewish? And the second guy said, I'm a Christian. And the first guy said, me too. First guy goes, well, what denomination are you? And the second guy said, well, I'm, I'm Baptist. The first guy said, me too. He said, are you Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? The second guy said, well, I'm Northern Baptist. And the first guy said, me too. He said, are you Northern Baptist conservative or Northern Baptist liberal? The second guy said, well, I'm conservative Northern Baptist, of course. The first guy said, me too. He said, are you Northern Baptist conservative Great Lakes region or are you Northern Baptist conservative Eastern region? The second guy said, well, I am Northern Baptist conservative Great Lakes region. The first guy said, me too. The first guy then said, are you Northern Baptist conservative Great Lakes region council of 1879? Or are you Northern Baptist conservative Great Lakes region council of 1912? The second guy said, I am Northern Baptist conservative Great Lakes region council of 1912. The first guy said, die heretic and pushed him off the bridge. (laughs) And that's funny because it's true. (laughs) Even in the church, we tend to create lines with one another. Here's my question. Do you think God is bothered by any of that? Do you think when God sees his children fighting with one another, disagreeing, having disunity, do you think God's bothered by that? Some people might say, "Um, I don't think so. I mean, Jesus had arguments with the Pharisees, and Jesus called the Pharisees some really bad names. And so I don't think it's that big of a deal at all. And I would actually agree that there are times to create lines. There are times to differentiate who we are from who this group is over here. But can I just tell you that as a father, nothing makes me more sad than when I see my kids fighting with each other. And conversely, nothing makes me more happy when I see them getting along. We were on a road trip recently, and two of my kids, who don't always you know, spend a lot of time together, were going and swimming late at night, and they jumped in the pool, and I could hear them laughing and giggling from inside the house. And as we were driving home, I was watching through the rearview mirror, and they were playing cards with each, with each other in the back seat. And as a dad, there was something in me that just said, oh, thank you, God. Because one of the things that I regularly pray for my kids, I pray for this, is that my kids would be tight with each other after my wife and I are gone. I just have this picture that after Sarah and I are in eternity, that my kids would still call each other. And they'd get together for birthdays, and they would pray for each other, and they would encourage each other, and they'd go to basketball games with each other. And they'd tell funny stories about the dumb things that dad used to do. But they would be close. I think God feels the same way. 
And so it doesn't surprise me at all when I see that Jesus uses this last extended prayer to pray for our unity. He prays this. He says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Notice the why. Why does Jesus pray for unity? It wasn't just cause. It wasn't cause, well, it's better than disunity. The reason was so that the world would look at followers of Christ and they would see their relationships and they would see the love and the unity that they have and they would go, you know what? I'm not even sure I agree with what the Bible says about that. And I'm not even sure what I think about Jesus or about God. But I'm drawn to what I'm seeing right now. I'm drawn to the unity of those relationships. My son is playing on a new basketball team this spring and we hadn't met, met a few of the parents and so my wife dropped him off at a scrimmage and she met this mom that she had never met before. And they started talking and found out they were both Christians. And this other woman attends a different church, but it's a similar church to ours. Same kind of mission to reach people for Christ, believes that the Bible is our authority. And my wife said, it's like we had known each other for years. We were talking about our struggles and we were encouraging one another. And there was this other woman who was listening in and finally, it was like she just couldn't take it anymore. She leaned over and she goes, do you guys know each other? And they're like, no, we just met. And she's like, well, do you go to the same church? And they're like, no, but our, our churches have the same mission. And you could tell that this woman was so confused. She started asking, well, what denomination are you? And what's your, churches are, what is, what's your church like? And they had this amazing conversation about God. Why? Because she was drawn to the unity that she saw. Jesus said this in John 13, 35. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. It's our love. It's our unity that other people will know that we are followers of Christ. But here's my question. What should we unify around? Should we be unified around a political party that espouses Christian values? Is that the core? Is that the foundation? Is that what we all kind of rally around with each other? Should we rally around values like tolerance and inclusion? Should we just say, you know what, we're just going to tolerate, we're just going to rally and make that value the center of everything we do? What should we be unified around? I think Jesus answers that question in John chapter 17. And thank goodness, because we live in a world today that never before has that question been more relevant. If you're on social media, if you're watching 24-hour news programs, if you're having conversations with people, you know that there's a lot of lines these days. There's a lot of divisions these days. And Jesus says that if you're going to have unity, here's what you need to do. First, identify the beliefs that we would die for. Identify the beliefs that are just so core to who we are that we say, you know what, that's the foundation. That's what we're going to unify around. Look at what Jesus prays in John 17. This is right before his prayer for unity. Jesus says this, and this is the way to have eternal life. A lot of people today want to replace the word the with a. They want to say, you know what, Jesus is a way to eternal life. He's probably a pretty good one for the majority of people in America, but He's not the way. 
But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, and this is the way to have eternal life. And what is that? He says, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. We live in a society that tends to be pluralistic. And what that means is that many people believe it doesn't really matter what you believe. That all beliefs can be true. People will say things like, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you love. And I'm drawn to those kind of sentiments myself, except for the fact that that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said there is the way to eternal life. It's by knowing the only true God. And who is that? It's the one who sent Jesus Christ. Sometimes I'll be talking to somebody who's church shopping and they'll say, you know, I'm looking for a church. And I'll say, well, what are you looking for? And they'll say things like, well, I want something more modern. Or I want something more traditional. Or I want something that's smaller and kind of has a community feel to it. And oftentimes these days, I will ask them this question. Do you want a church that believes that Jesus Christ is the way to eternal life? Because you'd be surprised at how many churches don't believe that. Do you want a church that believes that the Bible is our authority for life? Because everything else you've just mentioned is just window dressing. You may not know this, but one of the things that we are really proud of here at our church is called the Eagle Brook Association, or the EBA. And what we do through the EBA is we train pastors for free, and we give away resources for free to help other churches get better and reach more people. Sometimes people say, well, Eagle Brook just wants to get big. No, we want to reach the Midwest for Christ. And we recognize it's going to take a lot of churches to do that. Other churches are not our competition. Our competition is things like youth sports, entertainment, TV, sleeping in, apathy, and sin. That's our competition. We don't compete with other churches. We love other churches. But there's a catch. We can't fully partner. We can't have true substantial unity with a church that believes things that Jesus Christ didn't believe. And so we have characterized our beliefs around three concentric circles. And let me try to illustrate this for you. But in the center circle is what we call beliefs that we would die for. This is the foundation of who we are. It's the core of our church. It's never going to change. The second circle is beliefs that we would defend. And the final circle is beliefs that we would discuss. Let me give you an example of each of these. The beliefs that we would die for are, are what we call our nine core beliefs, and they will never change. There are many things in this church that we might change. We might change our music style at some point. I mean, maybe harps and banjos get big. And we might just go all in on that and say, you know what, we're, we're going over. We're doing it. We might change our music style. We might put the musicians on side screens. We might not. We have some campuses that do that, some that don't. We might change that. We might change our hairstyles. Look at this. This is our senior pastor. That might be a better improvement. I don't know. This is Andrew Herman, our campus pastor at Lionel Lakes. That's embarrassing. I, that's That's real. This is John Alexander over here. I think he's gotten more enthusiastic through the years. And then this one's solid in both ways. I don't even know how that made the list. I think it's, that one's actually pretty good. But 
But here's my point. Life is about change. Things will change. Here's what's never gonna change. Our nine core beliefs. It's the foundation of our church. You can look up our nine core beliefs online. I just pulled three of them real quick so you can get an idea. We believe that Jesus was fully God and fully human, and yet he never sinned. And we believe that he died to pay for our sins and he rose again. The resurrection is a core belief. We believe that all people have sinned and need God's forgiveness. That's a core belief. We have a core belief that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Those things will never change. They're die-for kinds of values. Here's what I would say under defend, an example, might be baptism of infants or babies. Some churches do that, some churches don't. Are you gonna baptize a baby or are you not? Now, we have looked at the New Testament and we believe that belief precedes baptism in every case in the New Testament. And an infant is not at a place in life where they're able to developmentally go, I'm a sinner, I need Jesus Christ. And there's no examples in the New Testament of infants being baptized. So we will defend our position to baptize adults who have made a profession of faith. But we're not dividing over that. We can still have unity with churches that baptize infants as long as they share those nine core beliefs. Here's an example of discuss. The return of Christ. People have all kinds of questions about that. They'll ask these questions. You know, when is Jesus going to return? How is Jesus going to return? It's a good question. Not going to divide over it. Don't even really totally know what I think about it. Not going to defend it. It's a disgust. That is where our unity is found. Our unity is not found in our race. It's not found in our gender. It's not found in our heritage, political leanings, or cultural trends. Our unity is found in belief. Jesus says this in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life for Democrats. He's the way, the truth, and the life for Republicans. He is the way, the truth, and the life for men. He is the way, the truth, and the life for women. He is the way, the truth, and the life for whites, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, and everyone else. If you are a Democrat, you are welcome in this church. If you are a Republican, you are welcome in this church. If you are a man or a woman, you are welcome here. If you are white, black, Hispanic, Asian, anything else, you are welcome in this church. If you're a Packer fan, leave. There's two doors usually in the back. There's two doors on the side. You can get back out to the lobby any way you want. No, I'm kidding. We can even have unity with you, but there's a definite line there, just so you know. (laughs) Jesus says this. If you want to have unity, you've got to identify what those core beliefs are. And then he says this. Here's what you unify around. The fact that all people are loved by God and made in his image. Look at what Jesus, how he ends this prayer in John 17. He says, Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Jesus uses this final extended prayer to pray that every one of us would have the assurance of his love. God loves all people, but not all people are experiencing his love. 
Not all people have believed in Jesus Christ and have that love living within them, but they could. No one is too far from God. No one is hopeless. You might have a family member or a friend right now who is drifting from God and it breaks your heart. You need to know today that the greatest sinner today could have the love of God in them tomorrow. And it doesn't matter what they look like on the outside or what their past has been. Several years ago, I lost my phone at a park and I didn't realize it until I got home. And so I went back to find it and while I was gone, my wife's phone rang and she looked at the caller ID and it was me. So she decided to be kind of silly and she picked up the phone and she said, hello, my love. And she never answers the phone like that other times, so I don't know why this was the moment. But there was this long pause. Finally, this guy goes, ah, this is Mike. I found this phone. And so I met Mike at a Super America gas station, and when I pulled in, there was this group of teenagers sitting on the hood of their car blasting Eminem. And I had on a worship song, Jesus Paid It All. So I cranked up the bass, you know, get it rattling a little bit. I rolled in next to him, what up? And I think it actually creeped him out a little because they got kind of scared. And I got out of the car, I said, are any of you named Mike? And Mike was, how can I put this, not the guy I would have expected to be a good Samaritan. He had on a t-shirt that had machine guns all over it. And he was wearing a hat that said, beauty is in the eye of the beer holder. <laughs> so I said to Mike, I said, Mike, thank you so much you know, for calling and taking the time to return my phone. I, I reached in my pocket, I said, can I give you, you know, some money as a thank you? And sometimes people are like, no, no, that's okay. He, he had grabbed it before I was even done talking. I mean, he was in buying a pop, I don't know. But, but here was my point about Mike. I misjudged him in some ways. And I misjudged him because of a preconception that I have about how people who look like Mike, how they're going to behave. And some of that is natural. Some of that is normal. We all do it. But I want you to see what God says in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. What do we look at? People look at the outward appearance. We look at hair, we look at clothes, we look at a person's figure, we look at what school they went to, we look at their kids, we look at their house, we look at their car, we look at their income. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Again, it doesn't make that we don't mean that we don't make wise judgments. It doesn't mean if I'm walking down an alley late at night and I see some rough-looking guys walking towards me and they look like they've been drinking that I'm not going to be up on my guard, because I am. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the Lord doesn't look at an outward appearance. The Lord looks at our hearts. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And in that book, he received a vision of heaven. And here's what he says that he saw. He said, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne of God. He says, when I got to heaven, when I had this vision of heaven, there was every nation, there was every people group, there was every language that was represented there. 
This is why isms are so evil. Racism is evil. Sexism is evil. Because one day you will stand before the throne of God and every gender, every people group, every nation, every race will be represented. Jesus said this, he said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Who's the one another? Well, it's other believers in Christ. And not just the ones who look like you, talk like you, act like you, but people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Here's what love is. Love is patient. Love doesn't just dismiss someone because of how they look and just go, I know what you're all about. Love is kind. And not just kind to people who look like you, talk like you, act like you, but kind even to people who disagree with you. Several years ago, Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, was interviewed by a magazine, and in that interview, he stated that he believes that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that he believes the Bible supports that as well. What followed was a highly publicized protest against Cathy and his company, which was boycotted by many. What didn't initially make the news was how Dan Cathy treated the people who disagreed with him. Quietly, Kathy reached out to his most vocal, harshest critic, a man named Shane Windmeyer, a gay activist, and he asked him if they could get lunch together. And we wouldn't even know about this meeting except for Mr. Windmeyer wrote an article in the Huffington Post. And in that article, here's what he said about Dan Kathy. He said, it's not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. Never once did Dan Cathy ask our organization to stop protesting. On the contrary, he listened intently to our concerns. He sought first to understand instead of to be understood. Cathy offered no apologies about his genuine beliefs about marriage, nor did he change his position. But his demeanor was one of respect, kindness, and openness. You can disagree with someone's beliefs or lifestyle and still be kind and respectful. That's love. By the way, Mr. Winmeyer displayed those same attributes in writing a kind article about someone that he disagrees with. You see, sometimes people think that if we're going to have unity, then we just need to stop believing things. That it's religion, it's ideas, it's beliefs that are causing all the problems and divisions that we live with today. The problem is everybody has beliefs. Everybody has convictions. And so it's not enough to go, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Because guess what? That statement is a belief. It doesn't work to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what you believe. Because it does matter what you believe. But you can hold tightly to what you believe as truth, the core beliefs that you would die for for our faith, and still love people. Let me ask you, is there a person or a group that you have a hard time loving? You think about them, you hear about them, and just something in you just goes, oh, I can't stand them. What if you asked that God would soften your heart this week and allow you to love them in some way? Or maybe you're the kind of person who just loves, 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 but tends to compromise 
the truth. And maybe you want to look at those nine core beliefs again and go, do I, do I bleed these? Do I believe these? Do I live these? And if not, take a look at them again, study them, read about them. Because our beliefs will unify us as believers. And if even if people don't believe, we can still love them. Today, we're gonna do something that has unified Christians for thousands of years. We're gonna celebrate communion with one another. We're gonna take a moment to celebrate the fact that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. And if you believe that's true, then it doesn't matter what denomination you are. It doesn't matter if you've attended our church many times or very few. You are welcome to participate in communion. If you don't believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, then it's okay just to let it pass. Everybody's at a different place in their spiritual journey, and that's perfectly okay. But the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. He then took a cup and he raised it, and he said, this is my blood shed for your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so we do. Today, this week is Holy Week. And as we look forward to Easter next weekend and the celebration of the new hope that we have in Christ, before you take communion today, I would just encourage you, spend a moment confessing your sins and thanking God for the new hope and life that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then spend a moment praying for unity. Praying for unity in our country, praying for unity in our homes. And if there's disunity in your life in any way, to pray that God would change that. At this time, you can begin passing out the elements at your campus. And it's a little tricky to get to it. You have to peel it back once to get to the bread. You have to peel it back again to get to the juice. Stick with it if you don't get it. My dad last night was just, he called me up. He's like, I've had it with those things. So don't be embarrassed if you can't get it open. As all this is going on, our band's gonna be quietly playing behind us. And then we're gonna stand to sing one closing song about the name of Jesus Christ. Our unity isn't found in denominations. Our unity isn't found in politics. Our unity is found in the name of Jesus Christ. We're gonna sing together about that.